0: northerners tonight's story i am sharing is kind of close to my heart um for multiple reasons uh one of which is the victim's cousin was actually my childhood best friend like we were thick as thieves and um domestic violence has always been very dear to my heart um i'm a survivor myself of abuse and my mother was a victim of domestic violence and abuse. And so this cause is so incredibly dear to my heart. And so, um, I definitely wanted to share Lacey's story with you guys. Um, I know it's been This, I believe, is the eighth year since she's been gone, and it doesn't get any easier for her family, and I really, truly felt like it was my duty to bring some light back to this case um, after doing a lot of research. There are no podcast episodes on Lacey's case, and that literally blows my mind. So before I go into the actual case, I just wanted to preface with this thing. There is a ton of help out there. And if you feel trapped, if you feel like you are in an abusive relationship, if you feel like you're a victim of domestic violence, emotional violence, any of those things, please get help. Get help. Talk to your friends and family. I know right now with what we're going through in the world and being so isolated, there is such a risk for people just to feel even more trapped and for this violence to escalate we don't have our day jobs to go to during the day where we could get away from our abusers and so we are with them 24 7 and so I just want you to know that there's help out there there are phone numbers you can call there are text lines there are lines that don't even require wi-fi or service um sms lines I will link all of that at the end of this episode, but I just wanted to preface with that and please, please, please be safe. Um, So just to kind of preface, Lacey was brutally murdered on October 25th, 2012 by her ex-fiancé. She was only 20 years old. One of the last comments Lacey made was, why bother phone the police? They're useless. No one should ever have to feel that deep despair. Lacey endured several months of relentless assaults, threats, and harassment committed by her ex-fiance. Calgary police knew, yet they ignored her repeated pleas for help. They did nothing. On October 25th, 2012, he brutally murdered her. Her death was horrific, and her death was completely preventable. Hey, northerners, a listener's note. The following episode contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature. The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Northern Blood podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Tonight's case is a very dear one to me, and I want to ensure that I'm telling it properly um, to do sweet Lacey justice. Um, I will start out by saying there isn't a lot of information about Lacey and Trey's relationship prior to the altercations that had taken place um, kind of in the year previous. Um, I did get some information from her cousin, Um, as she's been one of Lacey's biggest supporters over the years and so a lot of my information has come from her and obviously other multiple resources so I will say there is not a lot of information like I said about their relationship prior to the events however Um, multiple friends and family members and people that knew Lacey knew that it was a tumultuous relationship that was up and down and sideways and they would break up and they would get back together at one point they did get engaged um, but they had actually recently separated when the story kind of starts to take place Um, they had been separated for about two days from what I understand so like I said they were previously engaged Um, Christopher Trey Gunther was physically violent with her in the past and numerous times she tried to get police involved with restraining orders. There are multiple, multiple documents that are made public record that you can look at of police reports and things like that where police would come and document the incident but nothing would ever follow up with that. Um, Lacey's mother, Shelley, is literally... She is the biggest advocate for domestic violence and to try to put a stop to it. And I honestly think that this case would have been swept under the rug had it not been for Shelly. So it was at that point with all of these restraining orders and all of these documents and all of this information that the police had, Shelly took it upon herself that she was literally Lacey's personal chauffeur. She would drive her anywhere she needed to go. She would pick her up, all because she was petrified of what Christopher was going to do if he got a hold of her or if he was alone with her. And so Shelly just knew she needed to protect her daughter. And I will tell you, from the day that she started doing that until even today, she is still protecting Lacey in the best way she can and fighting for everything she possibly can. So at this point, um, Lacey worked at a place called Desperado's which um, a lot of the bars here in Calgary have kind of changed names and changed ownerships. So at that point in October of 2012, um, Lacey was working there as a bartender, I believe. Um, and so she kind of decided October 25th to drive herself to the mall to meet a friend from work. Um, they were going to go get Halloween costumes together because they dressed up when they were working at Desperados for Halloween. Um, Shelly honestly did not want Lacey to drive herself anywhere. She said, I'll drive you. It's, it's totally fine. It's not an inconvenience. Um, and at this point I think maybe Lacey just... Maybe wanted to give her mom a little bit of a break. Um, And so she said, Mom, don't worry. Don't worry. Like, I'll keep in phone contact. I'll make sure you know I'm safe. You don't need to worry. It's just a quick trip to the mall. Uh, Nothing's going to happen. So for unknown reasons, Lacey's friend ended up not showing up to the mall. No one knows why. um, And I actually don't know if the reason ever came out, if if it came out in court. I have no idea. But for some reason... Um, Lacey ended up at the mall alone Um, and she ended up receiving a call or a text, it's not completely known, um, from Trey stating that his dog had had puppies and that she should come and see them. That sounds like a pedophile luring a child. So I guess Lacey was a huge huge animal lover and so that was unfortunately the magic word that, that he needed to say in order to get her to come to the house. And so she decided to drive to his house. Um, While they were there, it is said that they got into a huge argument and things got super physical. But they had gotten physical in the past. Um, There are records um, and commentary from previous work mates that she had that basically stated like yeah she came to work and she was battered and bruised and she was purple and blue and her eyes were bloodshot and all of these things and so this wasn't a new occurrence unfortunately so no one truly knows exactly what happened at that house between Trey and Lacey um all we know is that there was an altercation Um, there are theories that um, he was cheating on her and she found out and he got upset. Now they did work together at Desperados. Uh, Trey was a bouncer there and Lacey was a bartender server there and so that is how they met and how they kept connecting and so it is said the only thing that's really really sad was that He uh, put her in a chokehold that he would have put a patron in at the bar that was misbehaving or needed to be removed from the bar. Um, And that in itself is um, completely devastating and makes you wonder what kind of human would do that. Now it is said that there was a woman who apparently had dated uh, Trey in the past And ended up actually starting to date him I guess after they had split up one of the times they had her name was Megan Tybalt um, and she basically said that Trey had come to her work at Desperados and confessed to killing Lacey on October 25th 2012 Um, and he had said to her do you want to know what I did and he said I killed Lacey And this was all uh, told as she was a witness in the first-degree murder trial. Um, I guess he had said he blacked out, he snapped, and he kept saying he killed her. He kept giving her details. Tybalt had said that Trey basically said that Lacey and him argued but didn't say what the argument was about. He said he had choked her and she would come back after unconsciousness and they'd talk some more. Tybalt continued and said it happened a few more times. He said that he got on top of Lacey and continued to choke her and I guess he said to Lacey, I'm sorry, it has to be this way. He said that he then blacked out and when he came to, Lacey was dead. Tibble also says that when Trey kind of figured out that she didn't believe him, he told her to come outside to where his car was parked across the street. He was standing on the driver's side of the car. And she says she went over to the sidewalk to the passenger side and I looked over and I saw her sitting in the passenger side of the car. And when I did, I ran back across the street and I called 911. In the 911 tape, played in the court during her testimony. Tybalt told police that Gunther didn't have a weapon. He says he just choked her to death. In another article that I found, it says that Trey described Lacey's death as unintentional and saying that she started a fight with him when she discovered he was seeing another woman. Trey said that he did not even know Lacey was dead until after he dragged her to the car to take her to the hospital. Now I need to take you back, um, before I continue on with what happened that night, I need to take you back three weeks uh, prior to this event where Shelley Jones had called 911 because of the violence that was happening to Lacey. So this is how the call goes. The 911 dispatcher says, "Where's your daughter?" Shelley says she's upstairs with him. Dispatcher says, "Is she safe?" Shelley says, "I don't know. I'm trying to find them." A short time later, Shelley Jones and her daughter barricaded themselves in a room. Shelley Jones says, "Okay, we've locked ourselves upstairs and he's gone down." Dispatcher says, "Okay, I want you to stay upstairs and lock that door." No charges were laid in connection with the events of October 3rd, 2012, three weeks before Lacey was murdered. This absolutely blows my mind. Shelley says that the terrifying ordeal was not accurately portrayed in the police report. She says it wasn't just a distortion of the facts, they were outright lies. They changed, completely changed the whole situation and it looks to me like it was to avoid the protocols, doing the paperwork and doing an investigation. Shelley wanted an investigation conducted into the actions of the responding officers. Officials with the CPS said that an investigation will not begin until after Christopher's trial, which is scheduled to begin February 17, 2015. All right, now if we fast forward back to that evening, um, this is kind of how it went down. So the 911 call was made um, at Desperados um, from Ms. Tybalt. And after that he left Esperados, obviously in a quick rush. He ended up at Shelley's house with a knife in hand. He went into Shelley Jones's home and holding the knife to Shelly, yelling that he killed Lacey. Can you shake that in for a second? Your I wouldn't even call him a son in law, but your beautiful daughter's boyfriend barges into your home in the middle of the night and tells you that he just killed your daughter. I cannot even begin to think about what she must have been feeling. Disbelief, fear, panic, anger. What are you talking about? Get out of my house. So Shelly ended up wrestling the knife away from him and demanded that he leave. He then proceeded to tell her that Shelly needed to kill him, which she obviously didn't do. He left, Shelley had no idea that Lacey was dead in the front seat of the car that was parked outside of her home. Nor did she know Lacey was in the car at all. Shelley called the police and stated that they had already received a call about the same person stating the same things. So Shelley immediately panics, what do you mean there's another call? All of a sudden there's this fear that this could possibly be real. At that point, Shelley called two of her cousins, Dustin and Shane, and they proceeded to the police station to await word if it was at all true, as no one could get a hold of Lacey. They tried texting her, they tried calling her, and there was absolutely no response. And that panic and that fear and that gut feeling that something is wrong is just, it's giving you full body aches, and you're just that this could possibly be true a few minutes later the police received another call from a resident of Country Hills which is a community here in Calgary stating that a man was trying to hang himself from the Country Hill Boulevard bridge the overpass bridge and that there was a dead woman in his running car the resident tried to keep Trey from harming himself until police got to the scene where Trey was arrested and brought to the hospital for assessment And Lacey was pronounced dead. After that was when they called into the police station and talked to Shelly and unfortunately shared the devastating news that it was in fact true and that Lacey had been murdered. While all this was going on my dear friend Crystal was waiting to hear what was going on as her and Lacey were absolutely the best of friends. They were cousins, and they did so much together. Their their mothers were best friends, and it just, it aches for the whole family. So she received a call from another family member that was telling her the situation. Dustin texted her as soon as he knew, and he said, It's true. She's dead. And Crystal dropped to her knees, and she absolutely broke down. As details started to unfold, there were a lot of things that came out that no one had any idea about. There was comments about Constable Jody Arns who was a witness on the stand for most of the day um, and had actually said that garbage bags similar to the one that was wrapped around Lacey's body in the car were found in Trey's home and a rope similar to the one allegedly used to strangle her was also found. Trey was actually initially certified under the Mental Health Act and was kept at the Southern Alberta Forensic Psychiatry Center. Initially, the charge was second-degree murder. They weren't initially, I think, convinced that this was premeditated um, because that is the key difference between first and second degree. But after almost one year, as friends and family gathered at her gravesite on a Sunday afternoon they were actually given the information that the charges had been upgraded to first degree murder which in the light of everything was probably the best news they had heard that meant that maybe some justice for Lacey would actually be continuing on that he wouldn't get away with the lesser charge of second degree murder now as of 2017, uh, June 2017, the Alberta Court of Appeal had dismissed a bid by Christopher Gunther to have his first-degree murder conviction overturned. He was convicted of killing her in March 2015, which that to me in itself is just crazy. Our justice system just takes so long to get things going. Um, He had initially challenged the conviction, suggesting that the trial judge erred in law by finding he confined Lacey while killing her, providing the necessary elements for constructive first-degree murder. His defense argued that her hands and feet were bound as part of a consensual sex act and said that he should instead be found guilty of the lesser charge of second-degree murder. And the judge said, we conclude that the first ground of appeal is without merit, and they had said that on a Tuesday in 2017. On this record, the trial judge properly concluded that the forcible confinement elevating the murder to first-degree murder was made out. They dismissed two further grounds of appeal the conviction to first-degree murder stands. Lacey's mother said she's relieved by the ruling. She said, that's probably been the hardest thing from the very beginning of this court process. His absolutely pathetic attempt to get off with the charges lessened to second-degree. Not only did he murder my daughter, but he still to this day is disrespecting her and desecrating her memory. She said that the court process has been never ending and worries that it's not over yet. As promised, she says, I'll continue to fight for her until I take my last breath. He has to pay for what he's done. He murdered my daughter, he planned it, and what he did was horrific. Gunther was given an automatic life sentence with no parole for 25 years. Now, Shelly, from that point forward, has become the probably biggest advocate for domestic violence and raising awareness, and that's not just in older relationships, this is in younger relationships, the same age as her beautiful daughter, and if there is one person who you can count on to get something to the highest authority, it is Shelly Jones, and she will not rest until she gets exactly what she feels is justice for her beautiful, beautiful daughter. Now, I feel like in light of this case and in light of what's going on and the rise in domestic violence, because we are all at home, if you know someone that you feel like in your gut feeling and that deep feeling in your belly that tells you that something's not right with the couple that you know you need to do something you need to ask the questions, you need to probe you need to truly trust that gut feeling because you don't know what could be happening behind closed doors especially in these cases that I cover or that I listen to on other podcasts, it's when you think that everything is hunky dory but something doesn't sit right And it's that gut feeling that is 99% of the time going to be right. It's that intuition that we have, that we all have, that we all need to trust. Now also, this dear, dear cousin of Lacey, my sweet childhood best friend, underwent her own case of domestic violence. A couple years after Lacey was murdered, I remember getting a phone call and some messages Of pictures of what her boyfriend had done to her. He absolutely pummeled her and left her for dead. And it literally shook me to my core. I couldn't believe that this loving husband that she had, they had a child together. How could that happen to her? How can you take vows and say what you need to say when you're married and when you? pledge your life to someone to take care of them for better or for worse. And he laid his hands on her. He hurt her. He nearly killed her. And honestly, my heart absolutely sunk. And I can tell you that this isn't a solo case. This happens all the time to your neighbors to your neighbors neighbors to people you know it is literally the scariest thing that could possibly happen i remember as a child you know it was particularly one man that would create the abuse but I saw things that a child should never see, a woman should never go through. And yes, I do know that the roles can be reversed and it can be the abuse on a man from a woman. I absolutely, I get I get that. But I also know how common it is for a domineering man to take over a woman who he sees as weak. And that breaks my heart. And so I truly feel like the light needs to be coming to this crazy crazy circumstance that just it's escalating it's not declining it's escalating and there are so many places where you can help to donate money towards causes like this there's a gala that i worked with for a number of years they're actually working on their 10th and final year this year but the gala is called hope for healing and all of the funds raised go to the ywca um shelter the sheriff king shelter And they donate the money to help those women that are fleeing from situations like where Lacey was. If Lacey could have gotten away. If Lacey... If, if, if. Like there's just so many ifs. And it absolutely breaks my heart. There are so many cases that absolutely go unreported. Um, And unfortunately a lot of these women have such th- like this tie to their abuser and it takes just one simple promise that they'll fix things and these women go back because a they might not know that it's not going to be the same and they're stuck in this cycle i mean i watched it firsthand with my own family and it absolutely breaks my heart so again i know this episode was hard to hear especially if you know someone that is in this position that is in a domestic relationship that needs to get out if you're their friend if you're their family member if you are anyone that knows any of those details you need to do something and there are so many numbers that you can call and so please if anyone can get away from their abuser it is absolutely crucial that that happens so let's do it for Lacey Let's help those people that we know that are in that position and let's do it in honor of Lacey. Now, as I end off, this is something that I found that's super, super fitting. Domestic abuse is often a gradual process with the frequency of assaults and seriousness of the violence slowly escalating over time. Since abusers often express deep remorse and promise to change, it can take years for women to admit that the violence will never stop and the relationship is unsalvageable. And that, my friends, is extremely scary. So before I leave, there is a quote that I found on Lacey's justice page, which says, May the radiance and beauty of her life never be defined by her death. So with that said, stay safe, Northerners. Thank you so much for listening. Every case I talk about is so important and deserves the attention. If you could kindly share this podcast with your friends, that would be amazing. If this is the first time you're listening to Northern Blood, thank you. I would love for you to go give our show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Now stay safe.